All right. Can we thank God for our amazing DR team? And also thank you to Brian Edwards who put that video together. I was fortunate enough to be on that trip, and I have not stopped thinking about this young man that I met there. He's 18 years old. His name is Endy Hakis. He's a kid wise beyond his years. He talked about bringing people to Christ with so much passion and so much fire. It's crazy because over there, Go Ministries oversees discipleship making. And Endy has taken that to heart. I mean, he knows exactly how many people he's, disi he's discipling through his baseball team, his baseball teammates. And he knows who they're, di they're discipling. I was like, wow, we don't even know that as leaders here. You know, I, we, we talk to you guys. We meet with y'all. But... They go a, a step further, Andy does at least, and his family, and in making sure that, that the fruit is there. Um, so, such a powerful testimony that they have. He even spoke in parables like Jesus did. I was just blown away by him. And I have a picture, actually, of Andy and his family. So you see his uh, siblings, his younger siblings to the left, his parents to the right. Andy is right in the middle. Um, the entire family has an incredible testimony. Like I said, his dad is actually looking to become a pastor after someone simply told him, hey, I see something in you. Why don't you come to church with me? And Jesus completely changed his life, and now it's evident in his family. So it's such a beautiful thing. Y'all help me um, in, in continued prayers for the Hakis family as well as what God is doing in the DR. All right, let's get into the message. First of all, how are you guys doing today? Good? Awesome. I'm grateful to be indoors in the AC. It is scorching outside, y'all. Yesterday I was talking to um, I was talking to a friend. We were chatting, a friend here from the story, and we're going back and forth about the audacity of Houston restaurants right now. When you go to the hostess table and they ask you, inside or outside? Like, really? You don't see the, the, the sweat in my forehead? That's just from walking 50 feet from the parking lot. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. So, I don't know. Hopefully, we sign a petition to maybe do away with patio seating for the summer. Wait, just by a show of hands, I'm just curious. How many of you guys would choose to sit outside? Ah, uh, really? Sons and daughters of the devil himself, huh? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Man, that's... Yeah, it's just, it's just too hot. It's just too hot. But anyway, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Rolando Alviar. I serve as a Stories Worship Experience Director. Um, if you're new, welcome. Hello to everyone tuning in online. Now, if you've been coming um, to the Museum District campus, you may have seen me running around in the lobby, the coffee bar, or situated in the back here of the worship space, just making sure that we're firing on all cylinders here on Sunday mornings. But... Today, I have the honor to share a message that God has put on my heart as we continue our current sermon series, The Seven Deadly Sins. So, if you're new, we've already gone over greed, sloth, wrath, and gluttony. Now, I highly encourage you to go check those out. Okay, you can go to our YouTube channel, um, you can go to our website, thestory.church. And really go and check those out if you haven't already. Uh, we had an incredible guest speaker, a great friend of mine, Terry Williams, um, lead us through the first one. And then Eric and Kel led us through the rest. And man, when I see those guys preach, I'm like, man, I wish I could preach like that. I wish I was as funny and witty as Eric. 
I wish I could bounce like Kel. I wish I was as fit as Terry and as welcoming as Terry is. And I'm not going to lie, guys, I get a little envious at times. I get a little envious. So that's what we're going to talk about today, envy. All right. This morning, we're going to define what envy is. We're going to talk about what envy does and how we can kill it. Because trust me, you cannot live a fulfilling and meaningful life if you have envy in your heart. Now, if you're sitting there and you're saying, hey, you know, I don't know if I actually struggle with envy. It's exactly what Kel, Eric, Dylan, and I thought when we met this week to talk about it. But when we peeled back the layers, we took a deeper dive, man, we're way more susceptible to envy than we initially thought. This thing is sneaky, it creeps up, and it takes a hold. And it affects you spiritually, physically, and relationally. So I'm glad that we're talking about it this morning. Now, before we go all in on envy, I want to differentiate between jealousy and envy because I think we can get those two confused at times or think they're the same thing. And I think that's just a product of our life, society. You know, it's just, it's just been misused. Um, we were all kids at one point. Maybe a friend or a sibling at one time got something, got that one thing that you really wanted. It was a Christmas, I don't know. And they rub it in your face, right? And they say, are you jealous? Well, the correct term there would be envious, okay? Jealousy, jealousy stems from the fear of losing something that you already have, okay? So if you think of a jealous boyfriend, they already have the girlfriend. They're just scared to lose her, you know, to a competing male or something. Now, envy, actually, I want to give you the definition of jealousy. Jealousy is being fiercely protective of one's own possessions, okay? Now, envy is to covet someone else's possessions. So you don't have it. Someone has something that you want, and you have a strong desire to get that thing. Okay, that's envy. To illustrate this further, I have an example. So you and your significant other go to a wedding. You guys show up. Your significant other says, sweetheart, I'm going to go get us a drink. And they go to the bar. And then someone comes and decides to shoot their shot. They start flirting with them. Now, if that stirs something up in you, what is that called? Jealousy, right. Now you guys go to the ceremony. If you're the male in this example, envy would look something like the bride walking down the aisle and you saying, dang, I want her. Well, how does this doofus end up with her? And if you're the lady in the example, my envy would look like you looking around and saying, how did she get to have this nice of a wedding? My wedding wasn't this nice. Now, if you're single, I didn't forget about y'all. Now, if you're single, that's you looking at the bride and the groom and saying, how did they get married before me? How come they get to have love and I can't? Where's my significant other? Now, if you're any of these people in this example with those thoughts in your head, you may have a big smile on the outside, but you're just dying on the inside. And to illustrate that feeling, I found 
some pictures of the 2020 presidential candidate, Kanye West. So to the left, that's you when the bride and groom look at you, you're like, congratulations, you know, we're here to support. But as soon as they look away, you hit them with right, Kanye. I miss the old Kanye. You hit them with that right, Kanye. Man, and I'll tell you what, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that as a casual observer. It just sneaks in. So let's break down envy because I was actually really floored with the dictionary's definition of envy, not because it's incorrect or anything or, or wrong. I just didn't expect it to be so deep. So this is Merriam-Webster's definition of envy. Painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. Yikes. I don't know they had philosophers working at Merriam-Webster. But so it's twofold, right? Envy consists of two things. Number one, painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone coupled with the desire to possess that same advantage. So a painful or resentful awareness. To be so fixated on what someone else has that it causes you to resent them. And it causes literal, physical, and emotional pain. Add to that a strong desire to get that thing. So you go from wanting something to absolutely needing it. So let's talk about what envy does, what it can do to you. Number one, envy kills you, body and soul. The reason envy is so dangerous is because it gives way to comparison. You begin to compare what you have versus what you don't have, what you have versus what someone else has, who you are versus who you could have been or should have been. And as Theodore Roosevelt Sobo said, comparison is a thief of joy because it leads to absolutely nowhere. Nowhere. There's nothing tangible to justify the existence of envy. It doesn't have any redeeming qualities like some other sins that we know about. Lust, for example, if you struggle with lust, you can just go find some momentary pleasure. If you struggle with gluttony, you may have one too many steak dinners. If you struggle with the sin of sloth, you may sleep too much, too many naps. Even if you're angry, you can just blow off some steam, go punch something, right? But envy, there's no escape with envy. It sits there. It's a self-mutilating sin. That's why Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy rots us from the inside out. All you get from it is discontentment. Now, I'm really guilty of this. I'll be the first one to admit. I'm a sucker for the new thing for the shiny things, for the upgrade. You know, all those emails that companies send saying, hey, check this out, this is our new lineup, this is our you know, new wardrobe line or whatever. They send those because of people like me. I'm the first one to click on them. Oh, see what they got 
They got this season. And when I buy something, my wife, she tells me something that I know a lot of you married men have heard in the past. Do you really need that? And she's right, but I obviously don't tell her that, you know. <laughs> you try to justify it. But man, comparison just leaves you discontent with what you already have. And guys, we are living in the social media age, and social media pours kerosene on envy and comparison. People only share the highlights of their life. Every day, it's a feed full of, hey, look at me. Look at what I accomplished. Look at what my son or daughter did. Look at me celebrating my promotion. Look, I just got married, just got engaged. Look at this vacation I'm having, this amazing meal I'm having. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I do that too, right? No, we're not going to post like the burnt chicken. My wife is not going to take a picture of a meal if it didn't come out good. She's not going to post it, right? I, I, I do have to say my wife has never cooked a bad meal in her life. I, I do have to say that. Babe, can you raise your hand? This is my wife right here in the front. Just so people know how blessed I am. But where was I? Oh, posting. <laughs> you distract me, girl. So, <laughs> so posting. People aren't going to post pictures of the baby when it threw up on their shoulder after they're trying to burp it. No, they're going to post the baby when it's smiling and cute, not with that ugly cry face. And that's just human nature. We, we do that. I like, to, I like to call social media online praise reports. <laughs> that's how I say, oh, look at this praise report online, right? The issue is how we respond to those things when we see them. When family and friends post something that genuinely makes them happy, a praise, how do we respond to that? And I'm going to tell you something. If your first reaction is not to genuinely celebrate them, and be happy for them, you might be struggling with envy. And I know this because my wife and I have had to check ourselves recently. Some dear friends of ours, a couple, they went to Greece last month. And before they went to Greece, we were at their place and they told us, hey, guys, we're gonna take a trip, we're going to Greece. And we were so excited for them. We were so, we're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's my wife's dream vacation. She's like, what? I've always wanted to go. That's amazing. We're so happy for y'all. They also just had twins. So if you've had twins or you know someone who has twins, you know the struggle early on, right? And they're actually going to be one years old in five days. So anyway, they, they went last month. So 11 months, they hadn't taken some time for themselves after having the twins. And so we're thrilled for them. We're like, yes, you guys deserve it. We're so happy for y'all. But then they hit us with a bomb. They said, oh, and by the way, we're going with another couple. Now, what you guys don't know is that prior to this, for a while, we had been talking about wanting to go on a vacation with them. And they said, yes, the next one, we'll let you guys know. And we said, it doesn't matter where. We just want to go on a vacation with you guys. We got really close. 
recently, like in the past two years, and we said, we want to take a trip with you guys. And they said, yes, absolutely, the next one. So when they hit us with that bomb, our faces went from, waiting. <laughs> real quick, real quick. And if you guys know me and my wife, especially me, I wear my heart on my sleeves. I cannot hide my emotions. And they knew immediately. We hit them with that right, Kanye. And immediately they knew. And they were like, we know, we know, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. We're like, no, no, it's cool. No, it's fine. It's, oh, it's great. Our voice getting all squeaky and high, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. It's going to be great. But then they went to Greece, and they started posting pictures and videos whilst in Greece. And, man, it started creeping up. We started telling ourselves, when are we going to go to Greece? Let's plan this out right now. Let's see what airfare looks like. You know? Envy started creeping up. Envy started creeping up. It sneaks in. And you have to be so careful. The thing is, there's so many things you can be envious, envious of. You can be envious of someone's personality, their traits, the way they look, their success, vacation, their family, opportunities. There's so many ways you can be envious of someone. And envy doesn't just stop by looking outward. You can be, also be envious of yourself. You can be envious of who you thought you could have been or should have been. There's this incredible quote by an author named Jen Wilkin that says, envy can look like grumbling against what God has given you by idealizing the past, comparing the present, or living in the future. I'm going to read that one more time. Envy can look like grumbling against what God has given you by idealizing the past, comparing the present, or living in the future. Have you ever looked to the past and said, man, those were the good old days? Have you ever looked to your present and thought, man, I didn't think I'd be here. I thought I would be there. Have you ever looked to your future and said, I'll be, I'll be happy. I'll be content once I get here. And we get so fixated on these benchmarks and it gets us discontent. We begin to resent ourselves in our current situation. You look around. Friends, getting married, having babies, getting opportunities. Retiring when you thought you were going to retire. In the stage of life you thought you were going to be in. And resentment can creep up. That envy can creep up. And those benchmarks, I think we've all done it in our lives, right? At some point or other, some of us have said things like, hey, by 30, I'm going to have a house and two kids. I know in my case, I said by 30, I'm going to have a house. I'm 29. 
And in this market, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that's going to happen, right? But what happens when those, when those benchmarks come and go? When you hit 25, 30, 40, 50, 60, and you haven't retired, you haven't gotten married, you haven't gotten that house, you haven't had those kids, your kids haven't given you grandkids. How have you responded to that? If you've responded with envy in comparison, there's a high chance that it's stolen your joy. It has stolen your joy. And apart from what it does to your soul, it wears you out physically. Because in order to attain those things, to fill the gap, you work more, you sleep less, you stress more. And that takes a physical toll. And that's why the Bible says that it will literally rot your bones. And if all of that weren't enough, envy is never content with just destroying you. It will come after your relationships. Imagine being close to someone with an envious heart. What does that look like? Being with someone who's always pessimistic, someone who's never content, someone who's always comparing things, someone who's always talking about the what if, looking to the past, and someone who's resentful towards others because of those things. How exhausting is that? If you're married and if you're envious, there's a good chance that no matter what your spouse has ever done for you, no matter what they've given you, no matter how much they've sacrificed for you, it's never been enough and it never will. What does that do to that relationship? What does that do to your marriage? Most divorces happen because of comparison. People getting into financial trouble, that wrecks marriages. Oftentimes they get into financial trouble because they're comparing themselves to someone else, to another couple, trying to keep up with their circle. Wives comparing their husbands to other men. Men comparing their wives to other women. Comparison will kill your marriage. Let's say you're a parent and you're always comparing your kids to someone else's kids. There's a good chance that they'll never fully satisfy you. They'll always be one step behind so-and-so's kid. And I've seen that so many times, especially when the kids are adults. And parents are very loose with their tongue. They like to make it known, the things that they have not accomplished. 
They'll come and say, mom and dad, I did this. Oh, that's great, honey, but when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? I don't think I want to do that anymore. Yeah, but so-and-so did it. Did you see who they, who they married? Did you see where they live? Hey, mom and dad, I got a dog. Great. When are the kids coming? That one's a little real. Man, that's exhausting. What does that do to that relationship? It just builds resentment, that constant comparing. And if you're that what-if person, always thinking about the past, what if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? Would I be here? I shouldn't be here. What if I do this next? What if I do that? And you're so discontent with where you are right now. And that, being discontent with who you are, that makes a mockery of God. And it makes a mockery of the people who love you, the people who are close to you, the people who are a part of your life to help you become who you are today. It makes a mockery of them. And in an effort to fill the gap and to get to that next place, to find contentment, you neglect valuable and crucial time with your loved ones. Let me know if this sounds familiar. The kid who had everything, you know, all the material things, but nothing emotionally. For what? For an endless pursuit. For an endless pursuit, a pursuit that will always leave you wanting. You'll never be satisfied with an envious heart. Never. There is no escape with envy. Now, James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Where there is envy, there is disorder and every evil practice. Envy leads to very dark places. So if you're struggling with this, let's address it. If you feel convicted in any way, great. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. Listen. So let's talk about how we can kill this thing. I think the Apostle Paul lays out a crystal clear antidote for envy in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. It says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The way we kill envy is with contentment. And it's not a settling type of contentment. It's not a sit down, be quiet, and put a smile on your face type of contentment. It's a contentment through Christ that goes against the grain of the society of more. It's a rebellious contentment. Saying, no matter what, I'm good. Give me what you got. Put me in whatever situation. Put me in whatever circumstance. And I'm praising God. And I'm grateful. And I'm at peace. And I'm joyful, no matter what. I've seen that lived out through our brother Cam here in the front. 
If you don't know his story, check out Maybe God podcast. I've seen that lived out in his life. And if you're telling me, Rolando, cool, I get it. Be content. I can't just flip a switch. I'm not expecting you to. You can't do it on your own. You have to go to God. Paul said, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Through Christ, he achieved contentment, writing that in a jail cell. Back then, there were dungeons. And that's when he's writing this. How many times have we seen that? I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Where do we, where do we typically see that? Sports, right? Tim Tebow made it famous. He wore it on his face. People use it nowadays for touchdowns. They use it for, for that test score. They use it when they want something. But we've forgotten the context. We've forgotten the context. Paul is saying, I can achieve contentment in every and any circumstance through Christ who gives me strength. So the first step, I think, is to identify how you've been envious, how you've let it creep in, how it's destroyed your relationships, and to take it to God. On your knees, take it to God. But you have to identify it. It's very hard to wage a battle against an enemy that you haven't defined yet. So you have to know what it is. Take it to God. It's really hard to be resentful towards someone that you're on your knees praying for. If you're feeling that way towards somebody. Prayer will switch your mentality from one of wanting and need to one of gratitude. And I've heard it said that gratitude turns what you have into enough. I love that saying. Gratitude turns what you have into enough. Prayer makes us aware that we're lucky to have anything at all. 1 Timothy 6, 6-7 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of it. Nothing is ours to begin with. Let Jesus change your lens. Let Jesus show you how to appreciate what he has given you. Contentment is true freedom. It's true freedom. What can shake you? What can rock you? When no matter what, you'll be at peace. You'll have joy. What can shake you? That's true freedom. That's what Jesus wants for you. He doesn't want you to be miserable. That's true freedom in Christ. And I think back to Endy in the DR and his family when we went over there, beaming with joy, just so happy and so grateful, couldn't stop talking about the goodness of God, had to share with his friends, had to bring them to church. A family of five living in probably a 500 square foot shack of a house with contaminated water. So full of joy. The kids in front of his house, 
They have nothing but themselves, dirt, and pebbles, full of joy. I told you guys that Endy spoke in parables, and he was wise beyond his years. So I want to share a little bit of our conversation to wrap up. I asked Endy, Endy, how do you get your friends to come to church? How do you get them there? Because that's kind of a struggle, right? Let's be honest. Nowadays, we're kind of, we're kind of afraid to be like, hey, you want to come to church with me? Because Christians, we don't have the best reputation right now, unfortunately. And that's why we got to deal with envy. No one likes an envious Christian. So I asked him, Andy, how do you get them to church? He said, it's simple. I talk to them about purpose. I said, okay, tell me more. He said, look, the thing is, and mind you, we're talking about high school students here, about, you know, the age. He says, the thing is, everyone wants to make it to the pros. Everyone. But the reality is, 99% of them don't. But everybody, so baseball and basketball, that's the two big sports in the DR. Baseball by a long shot. He said, everyone, by the time they're two, three years old, they're already swinging a bat. They've been playing their entire lives. And that's the expectation. That's the, that's the only ticket out. And he said, but realistically, most of them don't make it. And it devastates them. And they end up in a really dark place after that. And he said, fortunately, God has blessed me with great ability, with great skill to play the game. So I'm a star player, so I command a lot of respect. He said, I use that to share the gospel because I want to get to them before they get to the dark place. Because I know that 9 out of 10 of my teammates are headed that way. Remember, this is an 18-year-old talking. And I told him, so, and I tell him, so what do you, what do you say? He said, well, it's usually after practice. We're sitting on the bench, and I talk to everybody one-on-one. -on -one. If I catch someone, I'll, pull them, I'll, I'll bring them in, and I'll talk to them about purpose. He said, I'll ask them, I'll ask them a question. I'll say, or I'll ask them, why do you think there are some people out there who have it all? who've accomplished everything, who have obscenely more than you and me, but are still miserable. Why do you think that is? And they don't know how to answer that. I say, I don't know. You know? He said, I have no idea. And I say, because the missing piece is Jesus. They're trying to fill a void that only Jesus can fill. And then he hit me with the parable. And I'm going to read it because I don't want to butcher it. I wrote it down as soon as we got back to the dorm. I said, I never want to forget this. He said, if you have a Ferrari and you get in an accident, you can't take it to Toyota for parts. You have to take it to Ferrari. In the same way, if you have a void that only Jesus can fill, joy and peace, 
You can't go to the world to fill it. You have to go to Jesus. Those are words from an 18-year-old that I'm going to cherish and carry with me for the rest of my life. Wise beyond his years. But that's someone who's content in his circumstance, no matter what. Understands what God has given him. Understands his purpose. Look, you can continue to walk as a Christian and let envy rot you and your faith. You can let it ruin your relationships because no matter what Jesus has done for you, no matter what he's given you, envy in comparison will convince you that it's not enough and it never will be. Or, or you can experience true freedom and contentment that only comes from Christ. And you can achieve this through him who gives you strength. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for this morning. Thank you for this ability to come together, God, and just get into your word. God, I pray that if there's any envy in our heart, if you're convicting us of anything right now, God, that we may be bold enough to take it to you, to surrender it and leave it at your feet, God. Change our lens. Help us to be grateful for what you've given us, God. Give us a kingdom perspective, a heavenly perspective. Thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of everyone in this place, everyone tuning in online, everyone who's going to listen after the fact, God. Thank you so much just for what you're doing in and through the story. Help us, God, to be a light, to show love, to celebrate others. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.